The sermon text this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you hear the word hospitality, what sort of images come into your mind? Is it a long banquet table with silver dining trays and fine china? Maybe it's an air mattress blown up in the living room. Uh, if you are like me, maybe it's uh, visions of a magic-infused candelabra singing in a French accent as plates and cups fly around a big empty castle. Yep. All of those, even... Even Beauty and the Beast may be a right understanding of what hospitality is. The question for us is what does the Bible mean when it talks about hospitality? What should come into our minds when we read a verse like that that says, Show hospitality? What does Peter have in mind when he gives this charge? So, Sort of summary argument, what is, uh, in my mind, what is hospitality? Christian hospitality is a means through which we practice loving one another because Christians recognize that everything we have is from God. So we're going we're gonna to try to explain hospitality by answering three questions. Uh, I think all of them flow directly from the paragraph that Sarah just read. We're going to try to say, what is biblical hospitality? Why should we practice hospitality? And how should we practice hospitality? And I think all of those will point back to that definition. Christian hospitality is a means through which we practice loving one another because as Christians, we recognize everything that we have is from God. So first question, what is biblical hospitality? So that, that Greek word, hospitality, is philoxenos, which literally means love for a stranger. So you've likely heard the opposite of that more often, xenophobia. Uh, it's the same idea. So xenophobia is uh, typically just understood as, as prejudice against somebody that is from a different people group or a different nation. Uh, so xenophilia then, philoxenos, would be the exact opposite. It would be love for the stranger, love for somebody who's outside of your normal people group, somebody outside of the country. And so if we were just grammatically trying to take that and be very strict with that, it would be love for somebody you don't know. So Hebrews 13 verse 2 gives us sort of an example of this. There the author says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So there we, we see that love for God, which leads into love for a stranger, could even be a blessing to the Christian. Uh, but while there's no shortage of example of how our hospitality and our love for a stranger is used for evangelistic reasons and is used to bless the world that God has created and the people God have created, 
I think here in 1 Peter 4.9, what Peter has in mind is specifically hospitality to other Christians. That's kind of where we're going to focus today. And the reason I say that is because of the way he words it. He says, show hospitality to one another. I think there's a good argument that Christians ought to specifically have in their minds to show hospitality to other Christians. And I get that from Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. There he says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's an emphasis placed on hospitality practiced by Christians toward other Christians. This certainly doesn't neglect in any way hospitality towards non-Christians, but even as Josh just prayed, John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, the, the meaning of that statement is it is our love for one another, our, our hospitable, caring love for the church that will overflow in evangelistic purposes. Our love for the brothers will lead to people seeing the love of Christ. So for the sake of this sermon, I'm going to narrow down what I said was hospitality into an even more narrow definition of biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality is practically loving one another because we recognize everything we have is from God. It's not dramatically different from the first argument, but I want to narrow it a bit, kind of look at those parts of the definition. First thing is that it falls under the umbrella of loving one another. So as Daniel preached last week on love, this is a means through which we are to practice love. Hospitality is a category. I'm not just saying that arbitrarily. I think that's what Paul or Peter says in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. How do we love one another earnestly? The next verse, show hospitality to one another. This is an example, a means through which we love. And why does that matter? Because when you think of hospitality, it shouldn't be something that you think of as an entertainment. We don't put on a big show in, in Christian hospitality for the sake of a pat on the back or a, man, you did a great job with this. But our purpose in being hospitable is to love others, is to give and care for the people of God. And that hospitable love is necessarily practical. It's sharing meals. It's having coffee. It's having a play date. It's uh, inviting someone over. It's bringing a meal to somebody who needs it for whatever reason. It's doing, uh, it's helping some friend or family member or mom or dad with some chores around the house. Hospitality is very much a practical means of love. And I, I would just tell you, if, if you're trying to come up with some ideas, Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, any of these uh, sort of Christian websites, lots of really helpful articles on how to practice this well in a way that's not uh, over dramatic or over involved, but very accessible. I think probably the best example of this is from the book by Rosaria Butterfield, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, many of us have read that book. Uh, it does a really good job of sort of demystifying what hospitality looks like. And so she makes uh, a, a point to say that one of the mains they do is they make a bunch of big pots of soup. And in the evening, they just open up their home to whoever wants to come over and have dinner. They're meeting a practical need, a meal, and that is an opportunity then to share the love of Christ. 
But even in that book, one of the things that I think is so interesting is that she talks about her house is very busy, it's messy, it's filled with kids and other people running through. And that one of the means of hospitality shown to her is that the, some of the women from the church who would come over would just help fold laundry. That, that is a two-way street of hospitable love. It's very much a practical thing. So hospitality is loving one another. It's doing so in practical ways. But if we stopped there, we are not necessarily defining a Christian principle. Plenty of people, whether they are Christian or not, are very good at welcoming people into their homes or or trying to look for people who have a need in various ways and trying to meet those needs. Those are good things, but that's not inherently Christian. What makes biblical hospitality biblical is the motivation, which is the second question that we are to answer this morning. Why should we show hospitality to one another? And I think we see three answers to that question in verses 7 through 11. The first of those is that Christians are to be hospitable because we see ourselves as stewards. Christian hospitality is not motivated, as I said, by being an entertainer, but for the purpose of serving somebody else because we see that what we have, we've received from God. Look back in 1 Peter verse 10. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That word steward means servant, that you are obedient to a master. That's what we are as Christians. We are children of the king. We've been given all things from him. And so we ought to be the first to joyfully give of those things as gifts to bless others. We've been given a lot. I think Jesus teaches us this principally, the, sort of the principle of this idea in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. Uh, so the parable of talents, uh, Jesus tells a story of a great man who's very wealthy. He's getting ready to go on a long trip. So he calls three of his servants and he, he gives them different numbers of talents. And if you were to look at the footnote in your Bible, a talent is like 20 years worth of wages. So this isn't like money to sneak under your pillow or mattress while your master's out of town. This is a, uh, in, in some ways, a lifetime's worth of money. And uh, so he takes the three servants. He gives the first one five talents, so 100 years of wages. The second one, two talents. And the third, one talent. The two who receive five talents and two talents steward their funds. They use what they have been given and they turn it around and end up doubling what they have made. The master returns and, and thanks them for that and says, enter into the joy of your master the third servant was given one talent. It says that he's fearful. So he buries the talent. When the master returns, it sees that it's just one. And because of his fear to lose what he had been given, he's self-protective. See, the problem with the third servant is not his profit margin. It's not that he didn't double his funds that's the issue. It's his motivation. Instead of being motivated by the joy of his master, he's motivated by self-preservation. Do you see the connection to hospitality? If you see the gifts that God has blessed you with as being only for yourself, for your own self-preservation, you will not enter into the joy of your master. You, you will find it really hard to celebrate giving up things that you might really, really like for the sake of giving somebody else 
the love of Christ. Hospitality is in so many ways a great blessing to the one who gives hospitality, but only insofar as we recognize that we are simply stewards of God's varied graces. So the first motivation, we are stewards. The second, we see this in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. That ought to be a motivation for us to practice hospitality. The reality that Christ's life and death and resurrection have occurred, that we are in the last days, ought to be spurring us on to faith and to good works. That is, in a number of ways, one of the major themes of the entire letter of 1 Peter. He begins the letter in chapter 1, verse 3, by saying, In Christ we have been born again to a living hope, and that, through, that happens through the resurrection of Christ. Uh, and then the next paragraph down in verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So because of Christ's death and resurrection, because you have been born again to a living hope, because the end is at hand, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And I think he sort of summarizes this idea in chapter 2, verse 12. Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So again, there is this outworldly focus. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they say that the things that Christians are doing are wicked and evil, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The good, loving deeds that you do that are born out of the, the reality that Christ has inaugurated the last days. Those good deeds are a means that God uses both to put to shame those who call what you do that is good evil and even to grant them to glorify God their Father. This theme runs all throughout the letter. I'm just going to fly over a bunch of verses in 1 Peter to try and hammer this home. If you would like to flip there, you're welcome to follow with me. Chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Chapter 2, verse 20. But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Chapter 3, verse 6, you are her children, talking about Sarah's children. So he's talking here to wives. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Chapter 3, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Chapter 3, verse 17, I've got two more. I'm not going to go forever. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And the last one, chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. How often does the reality that we are in the last days come into your mind when you organize your calendar? When you look at the, the month ahead and the people who you intersect with in your life, how often does the reality that we are called because Christ has come, because we are in the end times, how often does that shape the way that you do good? 
doing good for your brothers and sisters. When you hear of a need in the church, when you get the email for a prayer request, or when somebody shares a prayer or a need at care group or in Bible study or in any other interaction you have, does that motivate you? Is the motivation there, Christ will return soon. He's come already. We're filled with the Spirit. We ought to act in light of those things. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to consider the inheritance that is laid up for the Christian. This might come across self-serving, but I think it's a biblical principle that as Christians, the good things we do now, the sacrifices we make now are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. There is a, a reward and a hope and a blessing for doing good. I love that verse because it says that no matter how much evil has been done to you, no matter how much you've been bothered by or annoyed by someone else, it is never a reality that you can respond by returning with evil. We return evil with blessing. And I think specifically blessing with hospitable love. Luke 14, Jesus says, if you have a feast, the people you invite to that feast specifically ought to be the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. The reason? Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So, beloved, let me encourage you, be willing to be inconvenienced by others so that you can show them the love of God. Be made uncomfortable. Be ready to sacrifice things that you want for the sake of loving others. That, that sacrificial love reveals that you are more concerned about your eternal reward than your temporary comforts. There have been times when Sarah and I have gotten the email that somebody's had a baby, we sign up for the meal train, and we grill some chicken or some corn, and I think, and I'd like to keep that. I think that I would prefer to eat this tonight. <laughs> Letting go of those things is a good practice for us, brothers and sisters. Second motivation, the end of all things is at hand. And there is a third motivation. We'll cover this one much briefer uh, because I think in, in a number of ways, this is what Daniel preached on last week. Verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. I think that's probably fairly simple to most of us. Uh, but simply put, if you sincerely love someone, if you really love another person, then you can forgive them over and over and over again because of that love. And especially for the Christians here, you are all, if you are a Christian, able to recognize you struggle with sin all of the time. There are many things in your life that are good reasons for people to be frustrated with you because of your sin, whether you're short-tempered, uh, you're selfish, or whatever it may be. And if you can recognize that in your own self, then you have to be able to recognize that other people struggle with the same things. Quote John MacArthur here, if as a church we ever get to the place where we're running around and poking at each other because of our sins, we're shattered. Third motivation, love covers a multitude of sins. Let the love you have for the church fuel hospitality and watch and see how serving somebody and loving somebody who maybe isn't the most lovable person to you, watch how that changes the way you look at them. Okay. 
So we've defined biblical hospitality. That's the what. We've looked at the, the proper motivation. There's a third question that I think we have to answer in this text, and that is how should we practice hospitality? Does it matter to God how we go about being hospitable? This is the hard part. Second half of verse 9 of chapter 4, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So when I graduated from college, uh, I knew that I wanted to go to seminary and move up here. Uh, I needed to get a job for a year of work, save up some money. I had no specific job interest in mind. Uh, I had a good friend who uh, had family that worked for like the Marriott brand of hotels. And I asked them if they had a connection, they could get, help me get a job. So my first job out of college was front desk at the Fairfield Inn and Suites in Alpharetta, Georgia. Uh, when I think of hospitality, in a lot of ways, hotels are the first thing that come to mind. I can tell you the hospitality there is not practiced without grumbling. There was a lot of grumbling. Uh, our training taught us not primarily to make every guest happy. Primarily, it was whatever you do, don't make them leave and leave a bad TripAdvisor review. Our motivation was ultimately we need to protect our uh, our brand, our name, or whatever it may be. That cannot be the attitude in practicing biblical hospitality. We cannot be grumblers who just kind of like, well, I have to do it, so I'm going to do it anyways. If they need a place to crash, fine, they can crash here, but I don't care about them enough to let that be something I smile about. Now, the exact opposite is what we are called to. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, probably one of the most go-to verses for this sort of thing. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's an important verse when we think about hospitality. So in the first century, the early church when they thought hospitality, the specific thing they had in mind was hosting people in their home. So we have this uh, ancient document called the Didache. It sort of was like a rule of order for the early church, first and second century of the church. Uh, and in there, they lay out just sort of basic principles that all Christians everywhere ought to be practicing. And there's a couple that specifically talk about how hospitality is to be practiced. Uh, and so the primary thought was if there is a traveling Christian teacher, an apostle or disciple, a minister of some sort, that hospitality is welcoming that person into your home. They could stay with you for up to three days and you provided them with both a place to sleep and with food. That was hospitality, simple and defined. You welcome somebody in your home and you feed them. It's important to note Christians, many of them, were not wealthy people. Most of them were day laborers who made just enough throughout the day to provide food for the next day to get to work and do this over and over and over again. So when they're welcoming people into their home, they're really putting themselves in uncomfortable situations. So there's one uh, pastor commenting on this. He talks about how the, that temptation to grumble and say, I don't know why we keep getting all these visitors. Why doesn't the apostle go to that guy's house? Or when is Paul going to get up and move on? See, that sort of grumbling is specifically, I think, why Peter includes that. It's easy, I think, for a lot of us to think, I know I'm supposed to serve, so I'm going to do it. But it's not just about doing it. It is how you consider doing hospitality and costly hospitality. 
and we are called to do it cheerfully. So uh, it might be something like making a nice meal and sacrificing it by giving it to somebody else. It might be something very small. Maybe when you think of hospitality, it's uh, you, you get a text, you come home after a long day of work or a long day of parenting, and a friend texts you and says, hey, I just got this new sleeper sofa. I've got to get it up two tights of stairs. It's really tight. There's a lot of turns. And saying, well, I, I don't want to do this, but I love my brother, and I'm going to go do it cheerfully. Cheerful that you are the one who got the text. Cheerful that you are the one who gets the opportunity to serve. May that sort of cheerful love be our habit. I think it'd be helpful to ask, how are you tempted to grumble? What, what are the circumstances uh, of, of your life that make it hard for you to cheerfully show hospitable love? Or who are the people that it's hard to cheerfully love? If we are called to be hospitable, cheerful givers... We're going to need to take our own souls to task, be self-reflective. What is it that causes us to grumble, and how do we fight that grumbling? Okay. So those are the three questions I want to close with as much practical sort of thought as I can. I think when we think of hospitality, uh, oftentimes it might seem like something that somebody else can do or somebody else can do well because of their financial situation, the space they have, whatever it may be. I want us to think practically, all of us, especially if you are a Christian and recognizes that everything you have is from God, we can all practice hospitality. So I want to close with just a handful of uh, practical thoughts on Uh, on how to put Peter's words into practice. First, hospitality does not need to be flashy. So if, if, if you see a Hallmark movie with like three turkeys on the table and a big old ham, and you think that's what hospitality is, then you're probably thinking, that's not for me. That's for somebody with way more money than I'm getting. That's not Biblical hospitality, we've already talked about that, but it's also, I don't think, what is expected of us to be hospitable today. I don't think it's wrong if you like pulling out the fine china and throwing a party, but hospitality is so much more about providing a space where you can show love to your brothers and sisters. So pull out paper plates, get the leftovers out of the fridge, order a pizza. None of this has to be flashy. It provides a space to engage in good conversation. So it should not be flashy. Second, hospitality should be intentional. And when I say intentional, I mean you ought to have a plan in place about who you are going to show hospitality to. I think most of us probably have a natural sphere of influence. The people that we sort of naturally gravitate to, we interact with the most. I live in seminary housing. I'm around the seminarians a lot. I tend to, if we have extra food or leftovers, or if we have a little bit of space at our dinner table, I'm going to shoot a text to one of those people first. That's not a bad thing. It's a great blessing of God to give us good friends that are the first people we call on. But if you were to reflect over the last month or even the last year, how many new people have you engaged in these sort of ways? Do you think uh, categorically about practicing hospitality to uh, not just the people that you're close with, not just people that you're necessarily farther from, but categorically different kinds of people? If you're married... How do you show hospitality to single people? 
If you're single, how do you show hospitality to married people? If you're uh, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you're in your 20s or 30s, if you invited a senior to coffee or and vice versa, are we actively and intentionally engaging with people who don't tend to run in the circles we run in? Consider what a beautiful love uh, or what a beautiful picture the love of God is that would be to the people around you. Going back to that verse in John 13. Be intentional about the, the types of people you engage with. Third, use hospitality to foster relationships. So this is just a, my own personal story. When Sarah and I moved here uh, seven years ago, I don't even think we were members yet. Uh, Nick Lingle and Stacy, who are now at Westwood, we prayed for, uh, they invited us over for lunch after church one Sunday. And when we got there, the Perrys were there. And uh, we didn't, I don't think, know the Perrys were going to be there. I don't know if the Perrys knew that we were going to be there. Uh, we had never met. But it was Nick and Stacy intentionally thinking, we want to see relationships form in the church, not just with me, but to connect other people. Are you thinking, how can I not just have people engage with me so that I am now the resource they have, but how can I build a relationship and connect people in the church? That's actually one of the main reasons we do ice cream on the deck over the summer. It's so that I can get a pint or two of ice cream, you and whoever else bring whatever toppings you want, and let's sit down and get to know each other. I'll provide the space. You guys provide the fellowship. You don't have to wait until summer to do that sort of thing on your own. Intentionally think about, I've got this person that I'm close with. I've known them for a long time. I met this new person recently. Let's just have them both over or let's all go to coffee together. Foster relationships. That's what hospitality is for. And then last, and really this is the most important of these. I've held it to the end on purpose. Practice hospitality because if you are in Christ, Hospitality has already been shown to you. Now, this could be uh, back up in the why section, but I, I do want to end on this note because I do think this is uh, the primary motivation that really ought to be in our minds anytime we're thinking about this sort of love. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, you have been shown the greatest possible hospitality through the blood of Christ. And the result of that hospitable welcoming you into the family of God ought to be joyful, sacrificial, humble hospitality shown toward one another. Recognizing that this shouldn't just stop in the church, but it will overflow out into the world it's a means through which we welcome others and show hospitality to others and welcome them into the family as well. If you will, just take a moment. Consider these things. What God has done for you and how you can show this sort of love to your brothers and sisters. And then I will pray for us in just a moment.
Heavenly Father, we are a people who need to see our dependence on you. There there is much that distracts us and clouds our minds from seeing clearly how much we have received from you. And Father, I think a result of that is that we often are self-preserving with our things. We don't want to give up in case that will hurt us. Father, I, I pray that as we consider what hospitable love is, as we have thought about uh, your words, Lord, we, just, we pray that you would help us to show this sort of love. We pray that this would be a church that is known for this sort of love, that welcomes strangers, welcomes brothers and sisters, folds them into community, and cares for and meets practical needs when they arise. We want to do this for your glory knowing that it's for the good of the church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.